Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. At Hop University, we cut the bullshit out of human and organizational performance training. We were born out of necessity. We hear it all the time. Human and organizational performance courses are expensive and hard to find. Safety classes put me to sleep. Help. So we did. We offer on-demand, high-quality online courses in human and organizational performance, safety, and leadership, all led by seasoned safety and hot practitioners. No need to schedule time for that conference, no need to track down the latest guru, and no stuffy classroom required. Join us today at hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P-University.org. Hi, everybody. It is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we get started, make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for that weird and strange thing called Twitter. It is The Hop Nerd One. Send me an email, sam at thehopnerd.com or thehopnerd at gmail.com. You can look below. There's probably a handy-dandy text number there. You can text us. You can email us. You can slide into the DMs. You can get a hold of us. You know that having that conversation is my most favorite part of this entire thing. Thing, because I believe through those conversations is how we make the be- the world a better place to work. And speaking of amazing conversations, I have got one for you today that is just phenomenal. I can't describe to you how amazing it is. It's the one, the only, the amazing and the great Mark Alston. I'm going to shut up and we're going to jump right into this thing. You'll hear, we just started talking, we just started recording, so you'll get a little bit of that. And then Mark will introduce himself and we'll dive right in and keep talking some more. So I'll see you uh, when we get done. Hopefully they'll go back to their workplaces and use what influence they have to go, oh, look, here's an alternative approach. Um, these are the benefits. Um, what have we got to lose? Let's, let's have a go at it. What, uh, what, what primarily drives your incident classification over there? Uh, so basically, um, well, it's more about, it's about triggers for mm. investigation. So, the first one is um, actual outcome, and, and we've, for some reason, we've sort of borrowed a bit of OSHA, which is uh, just floors me. So well, that, that's kind of where so, I was going. <laughs> yeah. So it's like actual consequence between you know first aid, medically treated, restricted work case, lost time, injury, fatality. But the problem is um, in that approach, you, if that's if you're driving your investigation level, so your high-level investigation levels from those 
from those classifications, you end up with a lot of resources wasted chasing high frequency, low consequence events. Exactly. Um, so we have that, and then that's so that's for the actual consequence, and then for the potential consequence, they, uh, we tend to use a risk matrix approach um, based on potential, but that is just so misused and so mis. So widely spread, misunderstood. It's it's quite frustrating, right? Well, and that's what we see manifest a lot here. Is is the primary driver or the primary measure still in, in industry stateside is still OSHA recordables, right? So total total yep. recordable incident rate, uh, TRIR, yep. and then lost time incident rate is then a, did a big one for us. And then only thing that happens is you just end up with with companies that are really good at at case managing injuries. Uh, Well, yeah, I don't think they're they're not managing injuries; they're managing statistics. Sure, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so like, and that's the problem. That that approach means that we oh, don't worry about you know, let's let's. It's almost a minimum care approach rather than oh, what is what care do they need? Who cares about the stat? Well, the the Um, wacky part is is that you you know you end up with uh, because contract companies. I'm I'm sure it's similar everywhere. You know, contract companies here, uh, even my day job, my I work for a utility. Uh, here in in the Southwest, and we still we still basically vet our contractors based off of their instant rates, which means oh, if if they hit a certain yeah. point, then they don't get work, uh, which obviously leads them down the road of managing that metric. So it That's ends right. up with folks in doctors' offices going, are, "Are you sure you can't just keep this out of first aid so it doesn't trigger oh, yeah. recordable?" Oh, can't, can we give them less less uh, less stronger pain pain medication? Exactly. Because, uh, right. If we give them a twenty five milligram Voltaren, right. it will mean it's not a recordable. If we give them 50, it's so it's wacky, fun. right? I mean, you're, it's, oh. you're, you're going, what what does that actually do? Absolutely nothing, right? I mean, it it, it makes us look oh. on paper, you know. You end up with a company that's bragging, yeah, we have a 0.0 whatever, uh, but you're going, is it real? It's probably not, right? Any anything that you that you metricize will get met, will get managed, right? Ultimately, and exactly right. It'll get gained, and and like there's you know 29 percent of statistics are made up as it is, right? Um, but the, <laughs> the, someone wrote a paper. I don't have the details with me right now, but um, there was they came up with 32 different ways to gain injury management statistics. Thirty-two wow. different ways, like to sweep that under the. We call it sweeping right. under the rug in Australia. Sure. So, yep. you know, it's just it's appalling. So, and the thing is, it achieves nothing. At the end of the day, this is the thing that really gets me: breaking it down into first aid, medically treated, restricted work cases, LTIs. Well, it's LTI is a production manager anyway, mm-hmm. a production manager. But breaking it down into those serves no purpose. It doesn't help you form trending because it's too broad. So someone who cuts their finger and gets a stitch and someone who loses their finger, no difference in metric. So it serves absolutely no purpose apart to fill a a space in a board report, um, give uh, health and safety people something to do, um, and as a really poor measurement of the presence of safety, which we know it's not. Right. Um, so yeah, I, it, it, and the thing is, we've made the rod for our own backs as safety professionals. We're the ones that introduced it, mm-hmm. and now we're paying for it. Yeah. Now we're now we're trying to uh, to bring all that uh, back and throw it in the trash can, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can only hope, you know. Right. Well, it's it's you know you still see a lot of it. Uh, in in a lot of industries that I come into contact with, I still walk into places and I still see. The, the a modern version, but the the injury pyramid hanging on the wall, 
right? Oh. And, and then a conversation around if you just take care of the little things, that's why we really care so much about keeping things small. And yeah. you're just, it just leaves you kind of knocking your head against the wall, right? It does. Um, and actually, there's, it's, it's interesting how, um, and I was talking to um, someone the other day about how these simple heuristic devices, such as the, the, the injury pyramid and, the, and, and those sorts of you know, Swiss cheese models and all those, have been so far taken out of context right. and misused. Um, there was uh, Dave Proven um, interviewed Carsten uh, Bunch, I think it is, um, who wrote a paper on these things about, um, you know, how they've been, you know, like Heinrich's Triangle and all that, and they've been so misused right. and taken out of context um, that they've lost all meaning. And that's the problem with some of these simple heuristic devices. We make that so simple people can understand, right. but it loses all context. Um, and that's right. what happens in investigations. We try and make them so simple, but they, we lose all context. Right. And, and that's what, to, to me, that's what I've always seen with that stuff, whether, whether we use the Swiss cheese model, as you mentioned, or, or the pyramid or, or any of these things, it really seems to, to go to our desire to try to paint this linear picture of how things happen. Exactly. Right. We, we, exactly. we want to have that simple, um, that's the, that really simple linear picture that says, if you can just stop somewhere back here in this process, then none of this other stuff happens. Yes. Uh, and and, and we just, we desire that, I think, as human beings, huh? Yeah, and that, that's exactly right. There is a desire to make things simple. Um, we like, we, and that's where blame gets such a feature in mm. so many investigations because, you know, it, it, humans crave that simple explanation. Uh, Nitsky talks about it. Mm. Um, and, and, that, and they cling to that as the truth because it's the first simple thing that makes sense. Oh, I, you know blame, simple explanation, oh, that makes sense. Well, that's got to be true. Right. And in, in fact, it's always a lot more complex than that. Right. It's it's always amazing to me. And as you said, it's it's that first kind of reaction is to go to blame. I mean, our minds just kind of automatically go there. But I, with, with organizations, it really seems to be this, uh, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, uh, we, they like to go down the path of blame and then labeling, right? So we, we, can, we can start here and we can blame this person and then we can label this person as stupid. And then we go down with that old phrase of, well, you know what they say about stupid? You can't fix stupid. So now we're done with the investigation. Exactly. Right? And it, it, it seems to be a way to get off the hook and just yeah. – yeah. Go out and do a little retraining or a stand down and pretend like everything's okay. That's yeah. I mean that 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 has bug, been my bugbear for so long. Let's <laughs> um, discipline reaction and retrain them. Right. A forklift operator, an operator has been driving forklift or, or whatever forklift truck for however many years, twelve years. All of a sudden, has a small incident and we send them off for retraining. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, they, it's they suddenly they suddenly lost all. <laughs> All idea about uh, operate a fork uh, truck, right? They forgot. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> oh, so, I'll, so we'll send you on a day or two training to remind you how to drive something you've operated probably without incident in the last 12 years. Well, what's, what's really interesting to me um, is especially when you go out and you talk to these folks, uh, I've done a lot of facilitation and focus groups uh, really around just kind of pulsing in organizations to kind of, kind of get into the squishy filly kind of stuff in organizations. Uh, and that's a lot of the feedback around that stuff that I don't know if organizations quite realize that or not, that when folks go through that, when you take that 12-year veteran forklift operator that we were just talking about, and then you you put them through that training, it's very belittling to that, oh. that individual. And they feel – and to them, it is no different than any other form of discipline. They feel like it is discipline. 
It, it is punishment. Right. It's an they, indirect they, discipline. It is. And, they, and, and it's, there's no doubt about that. And they, the problem with that is, is it just, it drives underreporting next time. Mm-hmm. So that, that forklift operator, rather than coming forward, um, if they have, if something goes wrong, they'll hide right. it. Right. And it just, and so the organization just loses all those opportunities to learn. Well, and I, I share that all the time. You're, you're never going to overcome the need of self-preservation by just saying, well, it's the right thing to do, even if we beat you. Right. Right. It's, it's never, it's, it's never going to work. Right. You have to, you, you have you to create an environment, enough. right. You have to create yeah. an environment in which honesty is possible. Yeah. And in those situations, you're doing quite the opposite. Right. That's exactly right. It's, uh, my, you know, I've, I've had conversations with some clients and, you know, trying to turn that, turn that around and, um, they had a, you know, their, their thing, their, the manager's idea was what he had in his head was his employees didn't, the workers didn't care enough. Mm. And I'm said, so what, you, your strategy of telling them to care more, that's what you think that's right. going to work? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's not a strategy. Uh, right. And A, why are they, why do you have that perception and why do they? And the truth of the matter is they cared so much, the system drove them into the behaviour they're currently having. Course, yeah. Because they care. Just bit, I've yet to meet a worker who doesn't care and have some pride. And and that forklift operator, you sending them on training, it, the biggest damage is to their pride. For sure. Yeah. If they, you know, like people, you know, that what all? Yeah, it's an accu, it's accusatory. Oh my god, I can't mm-hmm. say that. Probably. <laughs> uh, it's an accusation that they're incompetent. Right. right. Um, and they take that personally to their pride, and and you know. And then it's often, just, so often what you see too is then, again, we'll, we'll kind of we'll stick with that example. The fork truck driver, 12-year veteran, uh, has a problem, has, has a, you know, successfully operating all, for years and years and years, then all of a sudden I have a problem. We're going to go out, we're going to retrain them. But then we usually take it a step farther. Most organizations, we say, you know, we're going to retrain the entire shop too. Oh, yes. so then we, we usually get this one person sneezes, everybody gets a Kleenex type of thing. And then oh. you, you, you've got it. You've got a whole crew looking at one person going, yep. what the hell did you do to us? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And and you see that with um, my uh, hazard, hazard and risk management, like the hazard perception was poor. So, which is a cop out of a, 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 a an investigation finding to start with. Therefore we won't, just run that person through hazard ID training. We'll run the whole crew through hazard ID training. Right. So you've got a whole shift sitting there listening to um, someone with a PowerPoint going click, 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 and all they want to do is, can this be over so I can go and do my right. job? <laughs> right. And that's where safety people lose their credibility. Absolutely. Absolutely, and especially when uh, when most of the time that instructor is not a seasoned forklift operator anyways, <laughs> right? Oh. <laughs> that's and, the and best. It, it's 20 yeah. slides, 30 slides, 40 slides on how not to wreck a fork truck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It, look, the thing is we shouldn't laugh because it's actually not fun. Right. If, if, um, I, if, if we, we have to laugh, laugh we would cry a little bit, right? We'd be crying <laughs> if we weren't laughing. So. That, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> right. Well, so I, I know we kind of jumped right into this thing. So um, yeah. let me give you a second. And to introduce yourself a little bit to everybody out there. Oh, okay. um, exactly. So it, again, I'm going to leave all that in just FYI. So if yeah. I don't know if you've listened to the pod very much, but I kind of keep it pretty, it, yeah. pretty natural and conversational. So yeah. I'll just fade that right in. So everybody will hear us right now too. I don't, I don't really edit anything. Um, they'll love yeah. that. Most of the folks that, that listen in on mine are practitioner level folks and safety folks oh, and, and line leaders and folks like that. So um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody out there? 
Okay, so my name's Mark Alston. Um, I'm uh, a consultant in Australia. Uh, I live in Queensland. I've uh, been uh, working in the industry in safety oh, for years and years now. I don't even want to count. Uh, my primary focus and expertise is on investigations um, and improving organisations learning from um, their investigations through an examination of normal work. Uh, I started probably in this sort of investigations. I was in the, I was a federal agent of the Australian Federal Police um, for over eleven years, uh, a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, yeah, but my main focus is improving, is helping organisations learn um, through the examination of normal work and trying to get them to embed that in their normal investigation practices. Well, wow, very very uh, cool. So let me. I, I've got a. I've got a. There's a lot to pull apart there, but. So how do you make the jump from Australian Federal Police to, <laughs> to safety, basically? <laughs> um, well, actually, my first um, safety role was in the Federal Police. I was a health and safety rep Wow, um, for our office in Sydney. So, yeah, and, and, and was sort of the – and this was back in the early 90s. Mm. Um, so basically, yeah, that was my first role and the, my first exposure to, to safety was as a health and safety rep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, jumped, uh, so was in Sydney and working in uh, investigating organised crime, um, yeah, drug importations, money laundering, that sort of thing. Wow. Uh, and then uh, my wife and I, who I met in recruit training, mm-hmm. um, we eventually decided we, we'd had enough and we left and we moved to Queensland um, and uh, went into real estate, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, bought a real estate agency. Uh, did that for about five years and then I went mining. We sold that and then I went mining and I became, again, I became a health and safety rep on my crew. Um, so I have, I have a real practical background. So, yeah. uh, especially in mining. So like I was, I did everything in mining, drove trucks, uh, a lot of underground, above ground. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, I blew stuff up. So I was used explosives. I, um, drove trucks and loaders and diggers, mm. uh, graders. I uh, know not graders. So there's one machine I definitely didn't want to learn how to drive because if you did, get stuck on it. Um, but yeah, excavators and things like that. So, um, and then went into safety and, and really wanted to push myself mentally. And um, yeah, and I've worked for companies like Rio Tinto, BHP, McMahon, um, and, and, and yeah. That's, that's sort of basically my history. It's very cool. I, I really, I really like asking people that question, especially folks that are in and around our space, just because everyone has such a unique story and how they found themselves in this crazy, wacky profession, right? Um, everybody, oh. it's, it seems to be yes. such a long and winding and different road for everyone. And I think that's neat, right? We, we end up with, with, with safety practitioners that have such a different, uh, viewpoint on, on things, right? It's, it's really interesting to hear folks' stories. And I totally relate with your mining thing. I grew up in, uh, in Southwestern Virginia. Virginia. Uh, and so it was all underground coal mining. My whole hometown oh, okay. was a mining town, basically. My whole family's oh, still in go. mining. <laughs> you know, so. yeah. But no, that's, that's Actually, super interesting. You, you keep found, I, you know, listening to a little bit of your stories, it seems like even when you would kind of come away from safety, you would still find yourself back in safety. So there, there had definitely. to be some draw there, right? There had, what, what was drawing you yeah. back into, into safety? I, I think it was the the challenge of making, I, I just didn't like what, how it was done. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, and I think it was a challenge of, I'd sit in those meetings and I, in myself and when people were running them or, you know, like a, a safety meeting, mm-hmm. I'd say, and I'd be sitting there thinking, Oh my God, this is just rubbish. <laughs> right. Um, 
And we can we can say it's boring. Like we we can call it out and say you know that. that oh, I was going to call it something else, but um, <laughs> I'm good with that too. Whatever comes to mind. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you know. So and I, I thought I, you know and I thought I could do a better job. I mm. thought I could you know I thought I could actually make it more relatable um, and more collaborative, right. and that's right. what I that's what I've always set out to do. So. Um, and I like using my brain and, and like, and it's like driving, operating equipment and mining is, is, is a skillful job that, that needs trained skillful people to do it. But I found it didn't tax my mental abilities as much as I'd like. So driving a, driving a truck with for an example, when I was working uh, in an underground decline mine, it was hard rock. So it's just a corkscrew, you know, it goes down. Um, a couple right. of kilometers or whatever, a thousand meters or whatever it was. Right. We would get 12 loads a day in that truck. So when you're driving that truck out with a load of rock on it at four kilometers an hour, you have a lot of time to think. Right. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So, so, and, and, yeah, and I, my wife's, um, I'd come up at the end of the day, end of the shift and, um, call my wife and she'd ask how the day was and said, and it was like, I've got this idea. I've got this idea and to the point where I came home one break and she said to me, uh, you need to stop thinking. Um, and get another, you either need to get another job or stop thinking right. while you're doing your current <laughs> job because you, you're killing me. <laughs> she called you out on it. It sounds like she, she, uh, pretty, she, pretty much. That's pretty good. Much. That's awesome. Yeah. So she's a tough, tough woman. My wife. So it's it's really interesting to me, especially as we start going down this path of investigations differently, right? Because yeah. that's a place that I see uh, as a stumbling block for most organizations. And and folks listening in kind of on our, our conversation as we kind of started here, um, we kind of touched a little bit on that. But most organizations, I challenge them with this. I say, you know, go out and pull up. 5, 10, 15, however many you want of what your investigation form, whatever you use to document your investigations and tell me what your ultimate cause was. And they always come back and they say, people, 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 right? It's always rule broke, procedure not followed, loss of situational awareness, didn't pay enough attention, didn't care enough, kind of all the stuff we were just talking about. So it's, it's a challenge. So I think it's really, it's a, it's really neat to me. Um, kind of what you're doing here, going down this path of investigations differently. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? How do you how do you bring around those organizations that are kind of doing stuff more of the blame game? So, basically, um, first of all, it's founded on the principles of hop. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's, it's got to be a willingness to let go of blame, um, and that error is normal, um, and that learning is vital. Yeah. Um, those first three principles are, are really important in the whole methodology. Um, and then the safety too comes in as well because most of the time uh, this incident happens, you know, one out of, you know, a, a million times that, that that task's performed. But those same conditions exist in the 999,999 other times that the task is performed. It's just that one time that uh, that things go wrong. So it's a matter of, of taking them through a process and making them feel comfortable. So, you know, we, there's, there's learning teams are an option to find out about normal work, work insights. There's a whole range of things to find about normal work, but companies still need an investigation. Regulators still want an investigation. Right. So we have to sort of make, so we, we've, we've got a, a process, um, that we have, we compare 
um, the workers intended. So I don't like imagined. Uh, like I know the words used, but I, I prefer intended because yeah. the procedures are an intention. They're not a, like the imagination to me is a little bit uh, almost fanciful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 well, it, it conjures images of fiction to me. Sure. Imagined. Sure. Uh, but workers intended um, is the procedures and processes. Um, work is normal, so what they normally do across a, the organisation for that task, not just not just um, for that team or that person, but uh, the rest of the team, day shift, night shift, other crews, other sites, how everyone does it. We want to get a really good handle around that. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is the event itself, what happened during the event. And what we do is we, we lay out a, a multi-tier timeline. So like it's a three-tier timeline. So rather than a standard timeline that you would normally use, just which is, has the event, we include the work as normal and work as intended. Mm. And where there's gaps or differences, we look for the context around those gaps or differences. Not a five why, not a what if. We just look for all the context around those differences. So, you know, if, 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 if someone was meant to use, if the procedure says a hammer, uh, no, so let's go with a, a, a procedure says use scissors and everyone uses a, a box cutter. And at the day of the event, they used a box cutter. Why is there the difference between work as normal where everyone uses a box cutter? Right. Is it because it's more efficient? Is it because we don't have scissors? Is it because scissors won't even do the job? You know, what, what's the context around that? difference between those three and what it does is it forces people to fill in that middle part of the timeline that work is normal you can't do this investigation and we call it blue line investigation methodology you can't do it unless you know the blue line and people familiar with with Todd Conklin's work and all that will know what we're talking about the blue line the work is normal you have to go and get that information about work is normal um, because that's where all your systemic issues lie because it's not the one-off that's a systemic issue. It could be, but it's no guarantee or proof that it is. Right. But if it's constantly occurring, it's a constant issue and work is normal, that makes it systemic. That makes it worthwhile fixing. Right. And the other thing we do is we, we don't classify into root causes or causal factors. We just say, let's look at the context between the gaps. What are issues? Great. Based on risk to your organisation, fix those first. Because that's where you're bang for your buckies. Right. That's where you. That's where you. That's where the best value for what you can do is in that. Because you might find a thousand things. You can't find fix a thousand things. Right. But you can fix the things that call that were contributory or part of the issue, and that that event shouldn't occur again if you due to that particular issue if you fix it properly. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of times you do see that, right? Uh, for a, a lot of the folks that, that I've come into contact with and in the industries I've been in. Um, Instead of examining the blue line, a lot of times organizations just go back and try to hold the employee against the black line, right? It oh. seems like in investigations and saying, well, look, here's where they messed up. Here's here's where they, they kind of skirted off the black line a little bit. Here's where this and here's where that. And they should have been yeah. in magic word compliance, right? And, and it's back to that whole uh, context you know, or systems drive behaviors, right? That's right. Thing to, I, yeah. I love your example around scissors and box cutters uh, because I've, I've seen some of those examples eerily similar to that, right? Where you go, yeah, that, well, why do you use box cutters? Easy. And people are going, because the scissors stink, right? Because <laughs> they, they don't work. Do they, twist. they can't do it. And, and this is the thing. So traditional investigation methods, and 
Um, you know, there's Taproot, iChem, Five Wires, Root Cause Analysis, all those ones are very um, singular in their mind. They only look at the event. They only look at the event itself. They don't examine. They're not. They're not very good at examining outs the context outside yeah. the event. Yeah. And in any scientific inquiry, if you were to go and do any scientific inquiry, and you were to say to the scientists, "Oh, you're not allowed to study the context," <laughs> right? They go, "What?" <laughs> They say you've got you're crazy. You're insane. Yeah. So safety's different though. Safety's special. We have to remember that we not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that that's where I was gonna that's where I was kinda going next. because uh, most organizations still rely heavily on taproot RCA type stuff. Yeah. Right. And and I've I've got a beef with kind of I've, you you laid it out beautifully. I don't I don't really have to explain my beef because uh, it's very similar to what you you just laid out there. Um, that yeah. it, it really pigeonholes us into just looking at this, taking this approach of, well, it, it, it reminds me so much of, uh, back to picking on Heinrich a little bit. I won't pick on him too much. I get in trouble yeah. for picking on Heinrich, but it reminds me of the Heinrich dominoes, right? It kind of goes back to that old style yeah. of, well, if you just pluck out one of these dominoes back here, none yeah. of the event would have happened. And, and we seem to go down the same kind of linear approach with the RCA. And I, I hate to use that that term because I feel like it's overused quite a bit, but it is, it's too linear for it's, me. We, we can't get, linear. we can't get down in the dirty and into the context and all over the place right. uh, and right. find out all that kind of juicy stuff that we really want to learn about. It doesn't seem like. And the other thing is they're all, they're biased tools. So look look at Taproot for and I and in in disclosure I I actually was a certified Taproot instructor. I right. used to teach yep. people Taproot when I was with Rio Tinto uh, and issues to certifications. Um, but they give you the answers. Mm-hmm. So you get a sheet, you yep. get a book, mm-hmm. and a what is it a two page double sided piece of uh, you know, uh, laminated sheet with all the answers. And the problem is you'll you'll you only look for you'll find what you look for. Yeah. So it's yeah. there. I've got to look for that. So I'll make I'll make my context fit the answer. It drives you to rather, it. Yeah. It, it, they they all drive you to it. So look, I, I just think, and, and the, the problem I've seen, I've seen, and, I, and you would have seen yourself if you've been involved in these sort of taproot type yes. style investigations. Yep. You end up sitting in a room spending more time arguing about where it classifies in the booklet. Right, and exactly. actually, the context surrounding the the task well, and the we, event. We we end up we end up so focused on the uh, and if I offend anyone, I'm sorry, but we end up focused so much on the Taproot Bible. That, That's right. <laughs> that, that we lose. We're, we're, we're religiously complying with what's in that Taproot book yeah. instead of really thinking. Yeah. Right. We're again, it's back to yeah. examining the full kind of it's 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 this massive hunk of stuff how the event actually occurred and we're trying to narrow it down into this little tiny thing to fit that's it. what's in the book that, as you said as we said before that's simple heuristic explanation right right that's right that's what we're trying to deliver and and it just and it just doesn't work and look at the end of the day again as safety professionals we've made this rod for our own back because mm-hmm. we were demanding we wanted to trend our incidents so therefore or trend our root causes or trend all this and and so therefore the this allowed the creation of these style of, of methodologies um, because as an industry the safety professionals were demanding some sort of tool to do it with right so we you know that again well intentioned but I think we we need to move into our next 
our next sort of phase of investigation. So, okay, that's, that's great. That's served its purpose. Let's move on. Yeah. And I, I totally agree because, you know, when we start talking the whole RCA stuff, uh, you know, if you're looking at, okay, this is how this component in this power plant failed, how this system failed. Maybe an RCA might be useful in that situation. If we want uh, to get super yeah. linear to how an, how a physical system broke down. But as soon yes. as you put people into that mix, it's anything but linear, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a constellation. Right. Um, is, is, you know, like I, like the Swiss cheese model, if you were to actually, um, and I had this discussion with a friend of mine, if you were to get the, the Swiss cheese model, put the, the hazard or the event in the middle, and then have the Swiss cheese floating in a three dimensions with mm. those pieces of cheese all moving, and then each, on each slice of cheese, the whole changes size and position on this piece of cheese, right. that's reality. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> it's not a static, you know, line. Um, and yeah, so it, it's interesting. I mean, even reason said it was a simple heuristic device and not an adequate explanation of investigations. Right. right. And, and I think it's, it's really interesting because, uh, most of the argument from organizations, uh, and we were kind of picking a little bit on safety folks or myself included, cause I was right there with you. Um, I yeah. was right. I was right there in that certified taproot space. So logic, a couple other ones <laughs> sat right there yeah. with you. I understand. I grew up in all the same kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so full disclosure there too, <laughs> but, but it, it really, it's interesting because we go down this path or we have for so long of this, of, of saying, okay, well, we have to make sure we get to the root cause so we can prevent reoccurrence. But, and it's the biggest myth sold. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it is the number one myth in investigations is that a, is is fixing a single root cause will 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 prevent recurrence of right. an Right. Well, and that's it, right? It's the, it takes the stars aligning in a particular way for that event to occur the exact way that it did, right? And, and the yeah. likelihood of all those stars aligning exact back to your kind of your floating slice of the cheese, yeah. right? As we were just talking about the likelihood yeah. of all of those things lining up perfectly again for that event to occur yeah. exactly how we painted it out in that RCA yeah. is so improbable yeah. that it seems useless. Or at least it seems useless to me. At that point. Well, this this is the thing. So, and look, I used to be one of those people that used to to, and I I had it in training packages that I've written. Yeah. I had it in. Yep. in I used to say, that, "What's the reason we we investigate incidents to prevent recurrence?" Um, and then the light went on, and it was like, "No, you idiot! That that's just a myth. It, it, there's no possible way that can happen." I, 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 there is one way. That's if your root core, if your corrective action eliminates the task, the piece of equipment completely. Sure. That's the that's the only right. way um, that, that that could prevent reoccurrence. You know, if if we prevent you know people driving vehicles, yep. If, if we eliminate light vehicles, then we will not have a light vehicle event. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. but that's it. So to me, it's sort of so it really got me thinking about what is the purpose of investigation, and and I struggled with this, and I, and and I'm still struggling probably to come up with a really acute, um, concise definition that I'm happy with. But it, but it's along the lines for me, it's along the lines to learn about how normal work is, is completed, um, by how normal work on that task is undertaken and address the issues that are in that task and reduce or uh, as uh, to as low as reasonably practical those issues contributing to that event occurring again. Mm-hmm. And and as I said, I'll, that's just off the top of my head, but I'm not 
I'm not, you know, I still want to work on that, but it's about learning from normal, normal work, identifying those issues. And if you can, making sure that those issues don't make the event reoccur if that or contribute to the event reoccurring because you've addressed those issues. Right. And, and that's you the... won't prevent it from occurring from other issues, but you should prevent it from being occurring from those particular issues you identified during the investigation. I think that's one really interesting thing I've seen. Um, a lot of organizations are kind of going down this learning team model thing. We mentioned learning team is one method, right, of kind of, yeah. kind of learning blue line stuff. Uh, and there's lots of different methods as we, you know, we didn't dive into many of them, but, you know, a learning team is a pretty, pretty effective method of that. And that's what I think is interesting because I've had that conversation just the other day. Somebody said, well, what if the learning team doesn't get to the root cause? Right? Somebody asked me that yeah. question. You know, you kind of you kind of chuckle inside a little bit <laughs> when you're kind of yeah. thinking about that. But I just shared with them something very simple, and it was kind of to your point. It's, it's just about learning, right? Yeah. You're, you're learning how work actually occurs. And at the end of the day, better mm is better, right? Yeah. You're going to have folks that better the process. Folks that actually do this work are going to come up with better ways to actually do this work. Oh. That's a win. That's a win yes. for me. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and, and yeah, we talk about learning teams because that's a good way of getting a group of people in a room and, and discussing that issue. Um, but they're resource intensive, like an investigation, right. but there's no reason you can't, you can't do that as a leader, as line management or a leader or a supervisor or HSC or, or health and safety, by actually going out and just talking to people as a human. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I've shared that so much. It's, it's, um, we see so much of this kind of audit mode, right? Where yeah. folks go out, even just, just wandering around your operations, folks kind of go out with the rule book in, in uh-huh. one hand and a pen in the other. And they're going, I'm going to find where we're not following the, the, the black line basically. Yeah. And I think, exactly. you know, to stand that on its head, what I share with folks all the time is, is that is, is exactly where you're going. It's kind of toss that to the side and go out and have a real conversation with the people and say, where are things harder than it should be? Where do yeah. things, where are things not great? Uh, show yeah. me where you almost got killed yeah. and I'll be accepting of that message. You know, yeah. And go out and learn where the not so great stuff in the in work is, and they'll tell you. Yeah. If you go yeah. out with that mindset, you will be shocked and scared and amazed <laughs> at what they'll tell you. Oh, exactly. And and you know, and the other thing that I see somewhat the mistake I see supervisors and I managers do, they go out with this intention they're going to teach their workers something. Mm. So you know, they give they they'll rock up and they'll say, oh. You know, I want to have a discussion about their at-risk behavior, their behavioral-based safety, don't even start there, right? But they want to have those discussions about what they're doing and how they could do it better right. rather than I'm going to go out and learn what's happening. So they, they go out to teach rather than learn. Mm-hmm. Now, just by going out to learn and having that mindset, I'm here to learn, you'll also be teaching. Um, work. So if we can, we can reframe those people going out to the field and, and having those interactions to be one of genuine curiosity about the work and the people themselves. Firstly, you have to be genuinely curious about your people that work for you. Right. If you're not, you're never going to get anything out of it because um, that's care and that's empathy. Then be genuinely curious about their work and not be there to solve their issues, but to facilitate them solving their issues. Yeah. That's that's a culture of a workplace I'd want to work in. Exactly. 
it's so amazing to me, especially with safety folks. Um, I, I pick I pick on our own quite a bit, <laughs> just because I, I, I feel like we need to a little bit, right? Yeah. But I, I feel like we we have that problem in our profession, and it it's sad, but we have a little bit of a curiosity problem. I think. Yeah. There's there's a lot of safety folks that 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 I uh, that I interface with that are really just compliance people. Yeah. I'm going, you're not curious at all about how, how this stuff actually happens. I mean, I'm a nerd. I, I'll admit it. I just, I love learning how work occurs, right? I just think it's cool, yeah. right? It amazes me the stuff that people can accomplish and the way that people adapt and make things work oh. in the real world, right? It's just amazing. And I'm going, how yeah, are you so not smart. curious? How are you not curious? Yeah. They're so adaptive and they just get the job done. Um, you know, I, I train people in, in hop and, one of the first things I talk about with them is, are your procedures 100% correct or 100% complete? Mm. And I have a reverse auction, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> no one sticks their hand up on 100% and it goes to 90, 80, 70, 60, 50. I've had it down to low to 30. Um, and so why do you hold your people account to them to 100% of the time? Right. Because they can't follow them 100% of the time and they're always going to adapt them. We can't, there's procedures, like, first, yeah, simple task, yes, you can write a procedure that you can do 100% of the time. But complex work is too complex for a 100% mm-hmm. complete procedure. And so, therefore, your workers will adapt to get it done. And that's without outside influence. Right. Well, and it's so interesting because I, I like to throw something similar back at them, uh, is this, is that, is there one correct way to do work? Yeah. And their kind of head explodes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like so, because we, we, usually when we proceduralize stuff, we're making a really big assumption that this is the one correct way yeah, to do things, right. and that's just not true. Usually, right? There's there's different ways to to accomplish that task. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's super interesting because we do we we hold folks, and that's when I say we, I mean the general industry yeah. as a whole. Yeah, we like to hold people 100% to those procedures and say, well, yeah. you should have done this and this and this and this. But really, when we hire people, when we bring people into our organizations, that's the yeah. entire reason why we're hiring people is because we want them yeah. to be ad- adaptive and able to zig and zag and feel their way through stuff and, and manage and, and get through risk and figure out all this stuff, right? We, we want we that. We need them to be. Exactly. To be. Exactly. But then, and they you know? get it right the vast majority of the time. Uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, and then all of a sudden, back to our back to our twelve year forklift veteran, right? All yeah. of a sudden, now follow the procedure. Right? It's it's the the employee is one incident away from being the worst employee, and that 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 employee's yeah. leader one incident on their crew away from being the worst leader in the company. And this is the thing, and 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 our sis, we should be more resilient than people being one error away from getting seriously hurt right. or losing their jobs. Right. If, if if we are not a resilient organization, if we're just one error away from that, right? Um, and so many times, that's the answer. I I I I grew up and still work in the in the power generation space in the in the power utility space, and you see that, or I have seen that in my career at different times, to where we really have those kind of single point failures built into a lot of our systems. Where we say we require you to be 100% right 100% of the time or something not great is going to happen. Exactly. And that just doesn't seem like a good place to be in. And, and the thing is with procedures, they, they look at them when they write them 
Uh, they look at it at their documented review time, mm-hmm. and then the only other time they ever get pulled up is after an incident. Right, right, right. Well, and that that even kind of drives us back down that path of of picking on. Uh, I, I can tell oh. you the the last the kind of picking on RCAs still the the last several RCAs I can even remember from from back in the mm-hmm. day, um, and most organizations still using those processes. Um, but you usually see where it comes up to okay, the the there was a missing the. Procedure was missing, the procedure was incomplete, or the procedure wasn't followed. Well, that's where it oh. always ends up at, right? And it's, it stops. And right. It stops. it stops right there, and we write a procedure, oh. we add to a procedure, or we beat someone with a stick. <laughs> right? It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's, and it's like to me, I go, and, and that's, like, that's like gravity, saying, you know, things fall due to gravity, as Todd Conklin says. I love that. You know, yeah. Um, one I of the things I say that. to people I love is, that um, so much. yeah, I've got that in a, a bit of my training. One of the things I, I share with people, so how many people in the, in the room have a procedure where it says, do step one, two, three, and then cut yourself? Right. <laughs> or, you know, do one, two, three, and crash the forklift. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? That's not in your procedures? So when that happens, of course they're broken their procedures. Right, right. Well, and after the fact, you know, after the fact, you know, we're, oh. we get, we have the gift of being this kind of retrospective outsider, right? And hindsight boss. Exactly. We have we have the we have the we have gifts that are presented to us now, where, yeah. where we 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 have hindsight and we have known outcome, and it's really easy to look at that unfolding situation now and say, how did they not see? Yeah. How, how did they not understand that 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 step four was cut their hand? They should have seen that. Why didn't they just stop? And I hear organizations say that. I hear folks say that still as well. If it would have been me, I would have stopped, oh. right? And that, oh, doesn't yeah. that just burn you up? <laughs> it just, it just drives me nuts. Actually, South Park has a couple of, um, uh, has a character called Captain Hindsight. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So if you, if you Google or YouTube, um, Captain Hindsight with South Park, mm-hmm. um, I promise you, you will laugh. It is extremely funny. So I'm, I'm hoping that this means that you're a South Park fan. Uh, bits and bobs. Okay. Bits and bobs. Yeah. <laughs> bits I, I, think, I think old. we're slowly becoming best friends is what's happening. <laughs> I'm a little bit old school. I'm a little bit leany, I'm a little bit leany tuned. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyone that knows me will know how, how much I love the old leany tunes. Yeah. That's cool. That's great. No, it's, it's, it's so interesting because we do that, right? We, we like to go after the fact and then basically lay out this list of counterfactuals. Oh, yeah. Or lay lay out this list of the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, or if it were me, and then we pretend like that is a good answer. Exactly. And in fact, we not, even right? do, no, it's not. And in fact, we even do that when we're looking at an incident, a potential, like a near miss. Mm-hmm. We'll say, what if there was a person there, but there wasn't. There would never be a person there, but hang on. And then they they'll, they'll what if, what if, what if. And they'll have three or four lifts. Oh, that's a, that's a significant near miss. Therefore, mm-hmm. we must have an investigation. And that's part of the problem I see is this overclassification of things as significant near misses mean that we all of a sudden we, we've got to do these way too many high level investigations that we're just not resourced to do. No, no. If you were looking at any organization and go to their health and safety manager or their safety manager and say, how much of your time have you budgeted for this? month or this year or six months or quarter, how much have you budgeted for incident investigation? What's what's how many how much of your staff resources have you allocated for incident investigation? And unless they have a dedicated investigation team, that answer would generally be zero. Right. 
Right. Well, I love the answer because a lot of times it's it's uh, we haven't dedicated any because zero people get hurt around here. <laughs> that, <that's usually laughs> because that would conflict with our zero harm. Incidents goal. are unacceptable. That's what that's right. <laughs> yeah. We're well, going I, to have that beside our zero error. That, our next one is we're moving to zero error. Right. <laughs> Good luck. Right. <laughs> It's 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 interesting because you know we kind of touched on that a little bit. We touched a little bit at the beginning on some classification stuff and some other kind of yeah. stuff like that. But how much of that do you believe um, really impacts people's ability to be honest and report stuff? Because I'll tell you, um, you know, interfacing with a lot of frontline folks, they they they're just blunt with me, right? And they'll just tell you, if you tell me to get zero, I will give you zero. It's not going to be real. But I'll give you zero if that's what the company really wants. So how much of that, it, how much of that impacts yeah. that environment? You make it a target, I'll give it to you. The problem is, is when it's also attached to um, like targets and bonuses. Mm-hmm. So if you've got management or senior leadership or senior executives or boards who have their bonuses tied to safety performance and the way they measure their safety performance is through the injury frequency metrics – their reaction when they look like they're going to lose some money can be quite poor, right? <laughs> you know. So, uh, what do you mean it's a restricted work injury? Surely, surely they could do some of their role, and then we start gaming around whether they can do all of their role or some right. of their role. You know, it's a, oh, surely it's a first aid, or surely we can take them some procedures to. If we, oh, they lost time is is my favourite. You know, I've seen people uh, managers roll into hospital rooms mm-hmm. with procedures for workers to review because that way they're working. Now, right. you know, they're just about hooked up to a ventilator, but they're still right. working. Right. You know, um, so that all that does is, is communicate to the employee that the metrics are more important, the stats are more important than the employee. Um, they feel like they're in trouble. It's the, again, we're talking about a 12 year veteran on the forklift truck. Um, I feel like they're being punished. Mm. Um, therefore, people will avoid punishment by avoiding reporting an injury. Um, and you see it a lot with, you know, a lot of, uh, the musculoskeletal injuries, um, people just won't report them. I've got a sore back. Uh, they're not going to report that because they see that Jimmy did it. Um, and Jimmy, Jimmy's now doing the worst job on the floor. Um, or he's stuck in a room reading procedures. Mm-hmm. And if you're an active person and you love being on the tools, that's a form of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's a, and that's a form again, they feel punished. Right. And people won't, people don't volunteer to be punished. So right. it drives that under-reporting. Um, and the other thing it does is poorly based safety interventions. So, you know, the, the, they start trending off these things and say, oh, people have an issue with risk, therefore we'll put a risk intervention in. Or people, you know, hands and fingers, it's all about hands and fingers. Oh, therefore we'll put a hands and fingers um, program in and we'll put post-ups up about hands and fingers. Or... My favourite, and it drives me nuts, is the people don't care enough. Um, therefore, we're going to make everyone take a, carry a photo of their family around and apologise to anyone that's doing this now um, to, to remind them of how much they should care about their family. Right. Um, so, therefore, if they don't care about their family, they don't care about their work, um, they shouldn't work here. And so so much of that goes back to this, uh, that, that one exactly. That, that one irks me all the time. Um, because it it goes back to that, that that we're hiring people that just don't care, right? That if people just cared yeah. more, if and you, what happens a lot of times, what I've seen in organizations is they bombard them with these messages of you should care more, you should care more, and 
what they're really doing is they're taking folks that actually care a lot and making them care yes. a whole lot less. A hundred percent. Right. And these folks are going, oh, really? You think that I don't care? <laughs> like, oh. like, I, like I show up, you know, I've, I've, I've got my family at home. I show up and I'm going to choose to kill myself. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like, like that's actually a thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I wake up this morning. Hey, honey, I'm going off to work to hurt myself today. That's my plan. Oh, bullshit. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, so much of that, I, I, I tell them, I tell folks that all the time, like you have to make this as one assumption right out of the gate is that your folks care the max, the maximum amount, right? You yeah. have to assume that they care the maximum amount that they can care, move beyond that. This isn't a hearts and minds type of thing. Folks, it's, it's still that really yeah. simple statement that we've been yeah. saying for a very long time that people don't show yeah. up to work to get hurt. People don't show up to work to to break equipment. People don't show up to work to to wreck stuff. Or, you know, we'd mentioned trucks and other kind of stuff. People people don't don't show up to have any of that stuff happen to them. And you just have to assume that you're dealing with folks that really care a lot. And when you go yeah. out and throw that message out there and say you should care more, that's why this happened. It just makes the organization look really bad. It does, 100%. And in fact, most of the investigations I've ever been involved with, um, with they, they talk about people's choices and decisions they make. To them, it was no decision, and, yeah. and they had the company's best interest at heart over their own interest. Most people, if they're involved in an event, it's because they're trying to get the job done. Right. Not because, and, and not for personal benefit, but for the company's benefit. Um, especially in Australia, you know, some of the mining stuff there, they, they, a lot of the mining work, there's no bonuses paid on meters to individual operators and all that sort of stuff. So them getting that extra truck or digger or like extra shot off with the, the bomb crew or whatever, they don't get paid for that extra bit that they do. It's just they're trying to do it for the sake of the company or the organization. So it just burns me when people say they don't care. It's like, I, well, I don't think you spend enough time with your people. If you think that, then you need to get out of your office and more. Yeah, it's 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 either not true or you have a very serious human resources problem that's way outside the wheelhouse of everything else that we're talking about already. We're like, why, <laughs> where where are you hiring these people that just don't care? Right? That are yeah. just that just oh, doesn't happen, right? <laughs> it, 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 it's just it's it's again, it's one of those. It's it's another one of those myths, right? Right. Um, I think it's just an it. easy, right? It's it's a, it seems to be an easy way out. Right. Yes, for, for an organization, it's a lot of times that's it, 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 it is an easy thing. I think that is, is a big, huge part of that for an organization uh, is going, well, you know, if it's, it's a whole lot easier to blame, it's a whole lot easier to say you should have, could have, would have. Yeah. It's a whole lot easier to say care more than it is to turn that mirror around on the organization and say, yeah. where are all the flaws? Right. It's, it's a whole lot easier than doing that a lot of times. It means less work, right? There's less work, less money to spend. There's, there's a lot of reasons yeah. why an organization would, would, would prefer not to do that. Yeah. Uh, again, writing a procedure is easy. It just doesn't really yeah. do a lot. Right. Exactly. 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 So that's, no, I think, I think all that's super interesting. I think one thing, um, what I'm seeing kind of in that same vein, is any, any tips for organizations out there that would, you know, how can they help build that environment to where reporting is possible? I guess would be the way to put it. How can they build an environment where honesty is possible? Uh, any don't kind start of, any with tips? an incident. Number one, don't start with an incident. Don't start with an event. Be out there um, and be like, just go out there one on one. Be genuinely curious. So, if you're a, someone that's responsible for investigations in your organisation, my tip is don't start with an investigation if you want to do this. 
don't don't go and preach the hot values, but just show them, demonstrate them. So go into the field, talk to your workers, be genuinely curious about them and the work they do, and you will and you will start, and they'll open up to you, and you'll learn a lot. You'll be able to put, you might be able to even uh, facilitate some change in their work environment, make their life a bit easier. Look for some low hanging fruit, um, hit that. Then when an event does occur and you go back out to that same workforce, they'll be a lot more willing to be truthful and honest with you and you'll be surprised with what you discover. Um, that, that, that's probably my, my biggest tip. The other one is prepare your management. Right. Make sure they're willing to listen to the truth and take action on it and not pay lip service. Uh, if you can deliver um, and with your management, um, that'll get you that trust and keep that trust with your workers. So they're, yeah, they're, they're probably my two biggest tips. That's that's, that's super interesting because it's it's very similar to a lot of the feelings that I have. So much time that I invest uh, in and around this stuff and around Hop, um, I would say of you know the Hop principles obviously, um, but so much of it is around changing organizational assumptions around human error. Yep. It, if, it seems like to me, the, the folks that I've been around, the organization I've been around, if you could really change just that switch, and it takes forever, right? Because you're, you're targeting assumptions. That's super hard, right? Mm. But mm. flipping that switch between, okay, air is a choice to, okay, we understand that air is not a choice. That's right. It seems like once you get past that, that dramatically mm. influences the way that those leaders that we just mentioned, the way they react to events, the, the, right. way, the way that the organization feels about maybe the not so great news when it does come in, because that's kind of the same vein that I would couple in there with that is, is that the reactions matter a lot, right? Back, back to our hot principles um, that, you know, if I always, I always love that story. I've heard Todd Conklin shared a few times. I've heard other folks shared a few times talking about, you know, the first time that your son or daughter brings home that first, that first boy or girl, right. And the the way you react determines if you ever get to meet the next one. Right? <laughs> so I, I, exactly I, right. I, I love sharing that one too, just because of that. I, I think it's so much of it are those things. It's true. It's yeah. fixing and it is kind of fixing because most organizations, they still kind of hone in on this thing that, Human error is a choice. If we can just fix error, then everything will be fine. And yeah. it, they just don't understand that, that that's never going to be a winning battle. We're never going to fix no. human error. We, no. we, we all mess up constantly, right? I, oh, God, I, I don't know how I function some days without killing myself. I mean, it's, it's insane. But, but with, the, with, the, with the COVID-19, I've been right. spending a bit, of, a bit more time at home. Right. And, uh, and I've been doing um, – because we've got uh, we've got 140 acres here, and um, so it's a small little farm basically. And so I've been doing a lot more work around here, and um, um, it just seems that I pay with a bit of skin every time I do one of my handyman jobs. You, <laughs> you, like, you learn so much. Uh, those- <laughs> we, uh, I, I currently live. Uh, I'm 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 from the country, so I, I grew up kind of in the mountains and in the open land, you know. And yeah. then so now all of a sudden I find myself living in the the center of downtown Phoenix. So now I went from country to to downtown Phoenix, <laughs> so, so, yeah. so concrete jungle. So I we ended up buying bicycles to try to stay somewhat active during this thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so you you talk about really learning how easy it would be for you to kill yourself. You get on a bicycle in the middle of downtown anywhere. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> quickly learn. That you quickly you're not, learn, don't you? 
you're not as good as what you think you are. Right? And, uh, and you're constantly adapting. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, those, and those resilience potentials that uh, Eric talks about really come to the fore. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I, I like to, uh, I like to ask folks this before, before we get ready to wrap this thing up. Um, yeah. Any, I, I like to say like this, any final words, any last words, but any, any final words of wisdom for folks out there that, you know, again, we, we've got a lot of safety folks, a lot of frontline leaders, a lot of those kind of folks that tune in and listen to us. Any, anything that you would want to share with those folks, any f- final words of wisdom that you'd like to pass on to those folks? Um, probably the secret to a good investigation is learning as much as you can about the task that it was surrounded the event, not the event surrounding the task. So focus on the task. Um, that's where, if you want a good investigation, start and finish there. That's 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 probably my final word, I guess. I love and, that. Uh, feel, go ahead. Sorry. No, nope, go ahead. I was just saying, feel free for anyone if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, send me an email, send me a message. If they've got any questions, I'm happy to happy to chat anytime. Yeah, I love that because to, to me, uh, the outcome, the actual outcome, is one of the most boring parts. Right. It's, 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 yeah, it's of the least amount of, all, all I would care about is that the person uh, is looked after. Right. That's, right. That, so to that is, tell folks, uh, you mentioned that they can get a hold of you on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a website? Do you have anything like that I where they do, can reach out to you? I do. Um, it's investigationsdifferently.com.au. Um, and my name is Mark Alston, A-L-S-T-O-N. Uh, feel free to con- uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, but yeah, investigations differently. Uh, .com.au and you can reach me at mark at investigationsdifferently.com.au and it's M-A-R-K. And I'm, I'm sure you're doing all kinds of teleconsulting and all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm sure you're available to folks out there that would like to like to use yep. your services and all that kind of stuff For right sure. now even, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I've got a few clients and we're doing uh, all of our work remotely and and uh, having success and getting getting some stuff done. So that's the thing. Even though COVID-19 is out there and we've all got that as a, probably our number one priority daily to deal with, Work's still going on. Still happening. Roads are still getting built. Buildings are still getting built. Mines are still operating. Uh, Utilities are still pumping water, uh, both in and out. You know, electricity is still getting generated. Work's still continuing. So those issues don't go away just because we've got this added burden at the moment of uh, COVID-19. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. But how amazing was that conversation? Mark is just awesome. Full, full of knowledge, insight, wisdom, just phenomenal. Make sure you go check Mark out on LinkedIn. You go check out the website. You do all that stuff. I've got a feeling that he can help you with all of your safety differently investigation differently needs. Mark is amazing. That's all I've got. I can't say anything better than that. I mean, it was just awesome. I think that conversation speaks for itself. So until next time, it is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.